0: Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Hey, Mark. Great to be with you again. Another episode of Informed Dissent. But you know what we get to say this time? We get to say, now available on Apple Podcasts. That is correct. It took a while, but we're now... There. So I, I feel like we've made it in the podcast world that people can search Apple Podcast and find us under Informed Dissent. So we've got a phenomenal guest tonight uh, that um, uh, I think is going to bring a lot to the discussion. And that's Dr. Stephen Templeton, who is an associate professor of microbiology and immunology. Gives me nightmares thinking about back to medical school about how much uh, I disliked. Microbiology and immunology lectures. Oh, they were the worst. Um, anyways, <laughs> looking forward to uh, to hearing from him. And he's at uh, Indiana University School of Medicine. So, Steve, welcome. Welcome to Informed Descent. Thanks so much for coming on.
1: Yeah,
2: thanks for having me on. Now, you wrote an article a couple of weeks ago that I really just ate alive. It was I just was so impressed by it. Called "Hurting Children to Protect Them," and in that article, you reach this conclusion. I'm just quoting from it. Education and child mental health are more important than a political victory lap for achieving high vaccination rates, especially a victory lap that is based on exaggerated harms and only the appearance of safety. You go into a lot of detail in your article debunking uh, different studies that have come out regarding uh, harm, mass uh All of the science that has been uh, not quite so well uh, characterized by either the authors or by the media, can you explain how we're hurting children to protect them?
1: Well, I think it's a problem that's goes into uh, comes from a safety culture, is what I like to call it. Um, I'm not into you know finding a conspiracy group of people who are, you know, trying to hurt children specifically, but I, I think it's a cultural issue. I think it's a, uh, it, you know, you hear a lot about the safety culture in other areas, about, you know, kids in college that can't stand to have their opinions challenged and, and things like that. And I think it's it, it's just getting into all different areas of, of life for kids, um, where this sort of appearance of safety, it's not even really safety itself it's the idea that you know in schools and school boards and school administrators the appearance of safety over is overridden education completely and so um that's something that's very been very frustrating for me um since the beginning of the pandemic and even even before that um you know just being a a parent with two kids in the public schools um even here in Indiana, which is you know maybe a little bit more reasonable some, than some other places, um, you can see a lot of that dynamic there, and it's real frustrating. So,
0: so Steve, specifically though, how do you think we're hurting children? What are we doing that that is harming them? What
1: are we doing wrong? Well, there was a article put out by uh, a <clears throat> American Association of Pediatrics uh, a few days ago about there being a mental health crisis in children, um, um, which is is kind of ironic because you have um a group that's very much in favor of putting restrictions on kids in schools and um some of that is causing this uh, mental health crisis and, and exacerbating it despite the fact that these kids are um at very low risk from covid um we're putting all these restrictions on them and um you know i've talked to somebody who ran a summer camp um last night who uh said they had you know the the worst kind of behavior during that summer camp even though they ran it normally um, these kids were you know they they they, they just didn't they, they hadn't handled it well um, the you know year or more up to that point and it was sort of difficult to have a, just a normal um, camp experience for them and so. When I think about, and a lot of people would tell my me, you know, your kids are going to be fine. And what I would tell them is, it's not not about my kids. You know, I mean, they're kids who are from um, low-income families, disadvantaged. Um, they're the ones that are really hurt. Um, they're taken out of school. School might be the safest place for some of them. Um, you know, maybe they the I talked to people who, and I mentioned this in the article, who uh, working in uh, protective child protective services, and uh, you know they said it was awful. I, I haven't talked to a single person that works in um, social work that hasn't said that this has been horrible for 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 kids. So yeah, a lot so, of ways that so, were so, hurting them.
0: So specifically, you're a microbiologist. Obviously, you study uh, small things that you see under a microscope that can that can harm us. Are you saying that masks offer only harm and no protection against COVID-19 for children?
1: I think if you analyze the cost benefit, um, the benefit is small and very, very difficult to measure and not consistent. Um, And there are, you know, harms that are maybe for different individual people. For some kids, it doesn't harm them at all. For some kids, you know, who might be um, learning disabled or... um, you know, have autism or something like that. It might be actually quite a burden for them. Um, so this sort of benefit has not been demonstrated in a way that's um, out strips the cost. Um, it's it's just uh, just not there. Yet, uh, you know, kids are still wearing masks even in Indiana. It's uh, basically required here. You've you've
2: mentioned several specific articles, Steve, in your. In your article, that were reportedly written in support of the efficacy of masks for children, uh, that they actually do limit the transmission of disease, and apparently that isn't the case. What did you find when you looked at these articles, and and what were the problems that they really overlooked in in how they were uh, compiled and uh, and actually how their conclusions specifically really? the
1: ones for kids because um, I wrote one yes. before that. Yeah. Okay. Well, <clears throat> right now the, the only, um, articles or the main source of articles that support, um, mask use in schools comes from the CDC, which in my mind is a little bit suspect because, um, they obviously are biased and want to, um, show that masks have been effective in schools. And, uh, so the first study was in, um, Arizona comparing um county where um Phoenix is versus uh, Tucson area. Um what they found was that masked areas in, in, in those counties were um like a three and a half fold risk of of, of an outbreak if it was a, a masked classroom. I think one of the things that's been found since that came out is that the um Unmasked classroom um, districts were actually those schools were, were larger, um, and so that's that's a serious problem. Um, and not only that, just having a three and a half fold difference is something quite unusual, considering all the other mass studies that even claim to have a positive benefit. Um, three and a half fold is sort of unusual and should, in itself, set off a red flag. But obviously, in the media, didn't. They were very happy to, um, you know, make it sound like it was completely conclusive and bulletproof. Um, the other one was was a, a nationwide analysis, um, but there, it was very difficult to figure out um, how they analyzed the data based on on what I looked at. Um, and they they both only used very short time periods, which I think is always interesting too. um, Because if you have that data set, you should be able to follow up with another study um, showing a larger time point or different time points to show that there is a consistent um, difference. And the CDC hasn't done that. They didn't do that with their um, population study about mask mandate effects, where they only looked at um, the change in cases or hospitalizations after mandates were enforced during a summer period where there wasn't a lot of, as much COVID activity as during the, the fall. And they sort of have not published anything based on the fall or winter surges that came right after that. So um, just sort of using a specific time point and ignoring other time points or not following up with a consistent study um, I think is, is a little bit of a red flag. And then the other thing I said in another one of my posts was, you know, if you really want to convince people, what you do is you make the data available to people who um, are, you know, partners that may not have the same views or um, the same biases. And if they can analyze that same data, get the same results, that's a much stronger um, argument to make. And uh, I I don't think that's going to happen with the CDC data. So
2: is it fair to say then that the studies, and there aren't that many, that show that masks are beneficial in protecting children have uh, all suffered from methodological flaws that render their uh, conclusions to be somewhat tenuous? Given the evidence that you also cite in your article of multiple more robust uh, and lesser-challenged articles, like the one out of Iceland, that concluded that we have not found a single instance of a child infecting parents uh, showing that children are really not posing a risk uh, to others in spreading disease. It seems to me that the weight of the evidence that is solid is really on children being not very good spreaders and not in need of masks and masks not protecting them from anybody. Um, Is that a fair uh, assessment of what you wrote?
1: Yeah, I mean it even not even if you just take away the studies and not think about you know, because we can nitpick on science, the the science and the methodology, um, but, you know, just in the real world, thinking about multiple countries where masks are not required in classrooms, and they haven't experienced any school-driven outbreaks. Um, otherwise, you would definitely hear about it. That would be not be something the media would be reluctant to report on. Um, just that sort of real-world observation um, is something that really can't, shouldn't be ignored, Um, people still try to ignore it. But um, so even outside of just looking at scientific studies, I think that's pretty, should be pretty convincing for anybody,
0: you know, we we've been Mark and I have been arguing about this for a long time, that masks not only are ineffective at stopping the spread of a viral illness, but they cause direct, measurable harm that we've seen over the course of the pandemic from depression and anxiety and learning disorders and suicidal ideation and so forth. And it just seems like those that are making these decisions never ask the question, at what cost um, are these policies having? They they don't ask that question. They think it's only one way. If we can reduce the spread even infinitesimally, then surely it must be worthwhile. Uh, But clearly that's not the case with masks. And now they're coming, coming after our children with vaccines. And I, I heard a commentator just the other day say, well, yeah, children really aren't at risk. But what we're doing in vaccinating children with this safe FDA approved effective vaccination is that we're preventing them from spreading it to adults. We're protecting the adults by vaccinating children. We've never done that before and um and you and in your article addresses this as well the idea of shielding the adults by using our children again nobody's asking the question at what cost what is the cost of doing
1: that yeah and i mean it's it, it, it children is a source of transmission again i mean in in schools where they're in a fairly high density you're not seeing school driven outbreaks you're, what you see is this cases in the schools tend to match the case levels in the community. So, I mean, um, and not only that, the vaccines, um, in terms of being effective, they're effective at reducing disease, but it's completely unclear how much they reduce spread um, between individuals. And so um, if you're vaccinating to reduce spread, children are already uh, a lower risk of disease. They're less possibly um, Likely less um, vectors of spread as they were, you know, touted as originally. And so, since there's no evidence for that, it sort of takes the case um, away from people who are really pushing this. Um, but yet, for some reason, it's really gaining traction, and politicians seem to think it's it's a sort of winning winning topic to run on and, and, and to push really hard, apparently. Well, you wrote a more
2: recent article that's, that just came out a couple days ago called The Politicization of Immunology, where you're addressing that uh, politics intrusion into uh, public health. And you, you wrote some really startling conclusions that are quite powerful um, related to the comparison between acquired immunity, meaning you catch a virus and you don't have a vaccine, you get sick and you recover versus vaccinated immunity, which is what occurs in the body after you receive uh, a vaccine. And you wrote both immunity to vaccination and infection protect against a severe disease. But the scope of immunity that develops after infection is broader, generally more durable, and more specific to lung reinfection. So this pandemic will not end due to vaccination alone, but due to a combination of vaccine acquired and infection acquired immunity, despite the unwillingness of politicians, scientists, and public health officials to admit it. That really resonated with me because I hear all the time this drumbeat of marching towards everyone must get vaccinated down to the womb, down to age zero. And if we don't achieve that, we will never, ever get out of this pandemic. And what you've written essentially is, no, that's not the case. There are groups of people specifically children who are at such low risk of getting infected that their naturally acquired immunity may actually benefit them versus being vaccinated because not only do they not get hospitalized and die in any large numbers, any meaningful numbers at all, but they also will acquire much more robust immunity that will likely be very long lasting, if not lifelong, which you cannot guarantee from a vaccine.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I don't this wouldn't be all that controversial, you know, um, two years ago to to say about um, influenza. I mean, kids get influenza vaccinations and and, and that's fine. I mean, we I've, all learned this in medical school. My didn't kids we? get their vaccinations and um you know so i i I have no problem with the idea but it is something where um you know moving this quickly to um require it for children is sort of i don't know it just um it's 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 based on politics it's not really based on um science i mean even if you look at the pfizer press release um you know, they looked for antibodies in children because they couldn't quite have a a large enough uh, size to show any sort of meaningful decrease in in infections or symptoms. Um, They just had to look for antibodies. And I mean, that is a surrogate for protection. But um, it's very telling that, that, you know, they didn't bother looking at Um, anything other than antibodies in that
0: study. I mean, we're seeing now in adults the need to get booster shots in six months. Um, And I would presume that a child's immune system is going to react similarly, uh, that they may get an antibody response to the vaccine, uh, but it's not going to be as robust as natural infection. It's going to wane over time and we'll be coming after them again. So we're in effect protecting a child against an illness that they're not at risk and exposing them to a vaccine that can directly harm them that has no long-term studies to prove safety. We don't know if this will affect their fertility five or eight or 10 years from now. We don't know if this will affect their brain development or any other aspect of their developmental history. We just don't know that. So why, why would we do that? It's in effect, we're experimenting on children under the guise of protecting adults that really don't seem to need protection against children. And if you look at the schools, most schools have the majority of the teachers, the vast majority of the teachers vaccinated anyways. And yet here we are putting our kids in school, demanding that they get COVID shots and requiring them to wear masks. We're kind of hurting them twofold, hurting them with the mask and potentially hurting them with a vaccine against an illness that they're not even at risk.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to 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 ask, you know, what what adults are we protecting? The, the, everyone's had a chance to be um, vaccinated, um, and uh, may have made their choice one way or another. Uh, all the teachers, we've um, had had a chance to be vaccinated. So, which adults are actually being protected? Um, I do think it's interesting that, you know, I mean, people taught, and, and i still see some misinformation about vaccine immunity being. Um, superior to natural immunity, and I wonder, you know, if you're—it's the same thing with the masks. I mean, if you're advocating boosters and you know that it's—it's it's, uh, going to wane at some point. And that's an admission that that is happening, especially in vulnerable people. And it's a very similar thing to requiring two masks. If you start saying that two masks are better than one, then what you're really saying is that one mask isn't good enough. Um, so. Um, You have this sort of messaging that confuses people, but, um, you know, they start to feel like they're being being manipulated. And um, and, and again, I'm 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 fine with the I'm not an anti-vax person. I've had the vaccine. um, And uh, but I do think that, you know, just questioning the need for um, children to be vaccinated, there's nothing Wrong with that? In fact, I think it's 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 necessary at this point.
0: Have Have you had any pushback at your university for your views?
1: Not much. Um, I did write one article about, um, and, and so I wrote. So at first, I started focusing on the local um, pandemic response because I think when things started going south. And you know, everyone started panicking and, and started doing things that I thought were going to be destructive and 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 not helpful. Um, you know, my philosophy was try to change the environment around you for for the better. You know, try to to help your neighbors and keep people from panicking and 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 doing things that weren't going to make them safer but might actually hurt them. Um, And so I started to write articles for the local paper because, um, first of all, in terms of looking for someone who's close to being an expert, they were interested in my point of view at first um, and asked if I'd be interested in writing a series of articles. And I don't think that they thought about what I would actually write about and how I would um, frame things. I don't think they expected that, but um, I did write one article called the price of being human and uh, basically made that argument that you know just you can't blame people for being infected and I think the shaming really got out of hand and um, even from our own politicians our governor and you know the kind of language he was using made it sound like people who got infected it was because they did something wrong and uh, so I was really pushing back against that and against this whole shaming culture that was happening and I said you know this is just something that we can we can we're not going to be able to to avoid being exposed to the virus and we can't shame one another for it and there's actually very little that we can do and I specifically singled out masks in that article And this is about in November 2020 um so it wasn't a good time to single out masks and uh <laughs> my boss got some phone angry phone calls about that um but i actually quoted someone who was a mask expert in that article um and sort of let her comments um speak to that so um but yeah he got some angry phone calls um and that was that was the most i've gotten so far Um, but there's still time you know i i expect you know at some point um to get more pushback, I think. So I'm, where can I'm, I'm uh, where
0: can it. our listeners where can our listeners follow you if they want to uh, read your stuff? Uh, are you on social media, Twitter, places like that?
1: Where where can they learn more about you? Right. So Stemplet, S T E M P L E T seventy four is my handle on Twitter, and uh, that's also the Substack um, title as well of my Substack blog. Um, so either of those Excellent. places they get to read and um, connected to I yourself. have
2: something I really, Dutch dying to ask you about. Uh, just came out a couple of days ago out of the uh, British uh, Health Ministry, which raises new questions about the uh, vaccine itself. And it's this, those who are receiving the vaccines, primarily adults, are showing weakened immune response compared to those who require natural immunity through natural infection. Specifically, they're showing a weaker response in developing immunity to the nucleocapsid or the, the shell of the virus, which theoretically could lead to uh, not only lacking robust immunity, but also it could lead to reinfection and the spur uh, forward of the creation of new mutations of this virus, uh, which in the worst case scenario could simply uh, lead to an unending uh, mutant line of viruses for which we never actually achieve immunity. Uh, at least those who are vaccinated. What's your response to that? Do you have any thoughts about that?
1: Yeah, I've been hearing about this. Um, I, I didn't read that report directly, um, but I've seen some of the things that have been written about it. Um, I think the fact that it—and this is antibodies, right? Is—is is, is that correct? That are—and antibodies that are—I believe there's.
2: I believe they're looking at the antibody response specifically.
1: Yeah, and so what I would say about that is it doesn't necessarily mean that they are less protected. Um, There are, once um, a person is challenged um, an immune response multiple times to the same pathogen um, or a vaccine, there is sort of a refinement in some antibodies may go down as some become stronger. Um, That's a process, and uh, don't make, uh, Jeff, I don't want you to have flashbacks about your immunology course, but it's called affinity maturation. (laughs) So um, that's a process that happens with multiple challenges, um, where there's some clones of antibody-producing cells um, become deleted, and some get stronger, and, so that's one possibility. Um, I think you kind of have to show that, and I'm I'm not saying that it's not a possibility that they're actually losing some protection, but I'm saying there's there's more than one possible explanation to that, and I would have to some, see something a little bit more convincing to say for sure that they're actually it's actually hurting um, their level of protection, and decreasing it.
0: So, if we could get you five minutes with uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, what what advice would you give him?
1: Oh boy, <laughs> that's a terrible one. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a really hard
0: question. Yeah. So I'm yeah. I'm assuming you're not going to get your kids the COVID vaccine. You don't think it's necessary?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, people. I really people are ask you know asking you know. You hear, see in the response to the articles, you know, should I had it? Should I just get one shot? Or you know, I mean, I don't want to give advice, but I guess what I could say, or, or they're asking, you know, my 13-year-old kid or something. I mean, um, I personally, I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old, and uh, I, I have no plans to get them vaccinated um, unless it yeah. becomes required. I don't feel like the vaccine is a threat to them. But I also don't feel like COVID is a threat to them. Um, and I believe vaccines are a tool. They're not some sort of moral, you know, absolute that they're all, you know, have this sort of moral rightness that we all have to accept every single thing about them. Um, I believe it's it's fine to question the value and, and not want to apply a one size fits all vaccination strategy. Um, until it's been thought out a little bit more and, and, uh, shown to actually be effective in, in, uh, trials.
0: Steve, we'll give you the last minute. We've got, you know, a million people that are going to be listening to this download. Well, maybe in the future. And, uh, what what would you like to say to the audience? What do you want them to know about your work that you're doing at the university and specifically your writings about COVID?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, at, at the beginning, I, I, uh, uh, reporters, local reporters came and talked to me in the very first week when things were shutting down. And, um, one of the things they asked me was, you know, how, how I thought things were going to pan out. And I, I said, you know, the problem is, is people, the public is probably is expecting way too much of public health people and, um, politicians and you know they think that this is something that's going to be completely possibly uh, is possible to be completely managed or stopped and i don't think that's going to happen is what i said and um that was totally right and um but the people, you know really wanted to have uh control over any sort of risk and i think this sort of risk averse society is really hurting itself um and public health people and politicians they're taking advantage of what the public wants. I mean, they, um, so I don't necessarily blame them. I I think it's, it's a cultural issue and I think it's something that, um, has to be fought at every level. And so that's how I sort of went from going from a local, um, struggle, which I must say, I did not do a very good job (laughs) convincing anyone locally. Um, but to more of a, a national, international type um, exposure, writing in the blog and, um, you know, being on social media and interacting with other people who were kind of trying to achieve the same thing and um, make people realize that, you know, this wasn't the the war that people wanted. You know, people want to, to be fighting a war where there's an enemy and we can all band together and we can do this collective action and we can make a huge difference. Um, I think of it more of as a natural disaster, um, a very slow moving one. Um, nobody says, you know, we can stop this hurricane if we listen to the experts, right? I mean, that's not something that's possible. So I think Absolutely. the goal is to get this story out, this information out, and this um, fight against uh, this sort of, Detrimental safety culture that we have to make sure that this kind of thing doesn't become routine in the future, um, and uh, and that, that's that's really the goal, I think. Like well, wearing great. life
2: jackets every day in case it happens to rain. That's right. Yeah, We're, and my Steve, it's
1: it, my sorry, wife go, had go a ahead. good my wife had a good analogy where she said um, trying to help people uh, not be afraid was like throwing someone a life preserver and having them throw it back. I think that's. Um, exactly what exactly. the kind of experience that we had with a lot of our friends who just did not want to believe us um, when we said kids weren't at risk and and there wasn't much that we could do. We just had to help one another and and, and, and tough it out.
0: Well, it's great to have you as a uh, as a rational um, participant on the national and international uh, stage so. Uh, glad to have you there, and, uh, and thank you so much for joining us on Informed Dissent. Thank
1: you. thank you.
0: You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of Healthcare and politics.